This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, a weekly look at drones, driverless cars, Internet of Things, and all the buzz in between. Coming to you live each Wednesday from 2 to 3 on America's Web Radio and podcasts available for download from the website as well as on iTunes. I'm your host, Elizabeth Wharton, at Lawyer Liz on Twitter, and I'm a business and technology attorney with Hall Booth Smith out of their Atlanta office, but I am not your attorney, and this is not legal advice. So with that, let's get started. One of the issues that we talked about on the last show was looking at the FAA had released their brand new uh, small unmanned aircraft systems rules, the Part 107. And for anyone who is following along to the broadcast on the webcam on americaswebradio.com, if you see a very large, about three, four inch thick binder in front of me, those are the infamous Part 107 rules all 624 pages, but in going through all this, the first question everyone asks is, so what does it mean? What does it apply to? And before you can really go through and know, well, I've got a business operation or am I a hobbyist, you need to know what we're talking about with unmanned aircraft. And it... I'd like to say it's easily defined, but it's been a topic up for debate amongst the aviation and model aircraft and uh, hobbyist radio-controlled aircraft community for many, many years, including when the FAA Modernization Act came out where they were directed to create these rules. And truly best way to highlight some of the silliness that comes out of comes out of it is one of the uh, preeminent uh, drone lawyers Peter Sachs is famous for or famous for many things but he had submitted an application for an exemption to operate a commercial drone And in the application, basically, it was a paper airplane that he was describing as the aircraft, and it was granted an exemption by the FAA as if it was a commonly called drone. And then compare that, so now you have paper airplanes being exempted from the FAA's rules and permitted to operate until the current rules or the new rules go into place. But contrast a paper airplane with what you see in the recently released movie that's out on video now, Eye in the Sky, where you had everything from military aircraft conducting strikes to a drone the size of... pack of gum, even smaller. So, okay, those are drones. FAA has now said, in an aircraft, 
subject to, on the non-military side, the FAA's jurisdiction. The FAA, by granting the exemption to uh, Peter's paper airplane, has potentially said that a paper airplane is an aircraft, but expressly exempt from all of that are model aircraft. So the best way to kind of delve in further on, well, okay, if it's radio controlled, if it's paper, if it's a drone, what is an aircraft, is to bring in the first guest with me, and then we're going to be joined later by a legal analyst and recreational drone pilot, Michael Shearer. But before we get to Michael, I've got with us Archie Stafford. He's a small unmanned aircraft system specialist with the Academy of Model Aeronautics, which for those of you is really dealing with the hobbyist, the model aircraft. And one of my favorite programs that Archie works on is the UAS for STEM. But in addition to that, he is a tactical UAV operator and instructor for the Navy. So, Archie, welcome. And did I give you a fair introduction or did I? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So, excellent. So, when I was watching a demo last week of a new aircraft, it's a fixed wing uh, unmanned system, UAS drone, but I was reminded how far how far we haven't come in the commercial operations because the aircraft had to be launched by someone throwing it. And that's when raised the question, well, so when did that cease becoming a radio-controlled you know, hobby model aircraft, and when did it become a drone? So what are your thoughts? I mean, this is something you work with every day. Well, I think if you go back and look at the history of the unmanned system just in general, I mean, you go back to the 1930s and even the uh, early 40s when uh, they, some of these things actually started being used from a military standpoint, they got the connotation drone. Uh, Marilyn Monroe actually worked on uh, in one of the factories building these things during World War II. Uh, there's the AMA Museum that got one of the aircraft that was built in the radio drone factory up there. And that's where the term initially came from, and then the military used it for many years um, after that. So in, in the military context, and, and going back to the aircraft that uh, Marilyn <laughs> was building, what what components do they contain? I mean, they were operated autonomously in the sense of there wasn't a pilot on board, and, but it was radio controls, correct? Correct, correct. So they had old mechanical gyroscopes uh, that actually would spin up, and they could use that to help level the aircraft. And then they were essentially flown in more of an FPV-type scenario where they're looking at live video coming back from the onboard cameras to directed, or in some cases, they were just flown line of sight, just exactly how a radio control airplane is flown today, and were used for uh, targets at that point. So, we haven't come that far on how they're being operated in the sense of it was, like you said, visual line of sight, and you know, or, that, I mean, how sophisticated were the, the video feed that you were getting back? Um, they were very early television quality, so they were not very good feeds. Um, they had 
limited range. Um, obviously, we're black and white at the time. Uh, but in many cases, and I know even the Germans were using some of those being flown from other aircraft that were in the air and using them as kind of uh, guided weapons of, of a sort that were flown from an aircraft that was following and then would launch this thing and then would fly out and they would fly the camera into the target. So I'm picturing somebody standing there with the antennas wrapped in tin foil, kind of going, whoop, whoop, a little bit to the left. Nope, nope, hold it, hold right there. We have good video feed now from, you know, oh, we can we can bomb this, you know, artillery outpost. Oh, oh, nope, you moved. Dang it, can't see it. I mean, is that kind of and what we're prob- talking about? You're probably not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Even better. Well, and you mentioned uh, briefly, because I don't want to lose sight of that, the AMA has a museum. Where is that museum located? It is at the uh, AMA headquarters in Muncie, Indiana. And it is a uh, phenomenal museum. And it's got the history of model aircraft that goes back to well before radio control was even becoming popular from a recreational standpoint, the old U-control, control line type aircraft, free flight aircraft, and they have things in there from as early as the 1920s. Oh, wow. Now, the aircraft in the 1920s, I mean, what what was being used to control those? What was the communication network or system for that? Those were primarily just free flight. They would have a motor on them, and then they'd be hand-launched, and you may build some turn into the ailerons or the rudder to be able to fly in circles, but there was no no control whatsoever once you let it go. So from 1920s to now, autonomous aircraft or UAS, unmanned, is not a new concept. No, not at all. It's just the technology has gotten better and the ease of which to operate them for uh, everyone has just become a lot easier. Well, and one of the programs that I mentioned that you work with is the UAS for STEM, where y'all are working with, I mean, how, is it elementary school students on up? Uh, target audience for that is uh, ages 11 to 19, so primarily middle school and high school. So if a middle school student can figure it out, I mean, that, and granted, they're doing some pretty fancy and complicated, I mean, they're in that case, with y'all, I mean, they're writing the software that's using the locations and everything, correct? Exactly. So it's, a, it's, it's insulting to them to say, well, you're just a 6th grader or 11-year-old working on this. But at the same time, it's not. it doesn't require, from their sense, a high degree of certification, Correct. Correct, and I think a lot of it is they've now grown up in the electronic age. I mean, you see the commercials where the 10-year-olds come over to help fix their grandparents' computers, and in a lot of scenarios, it's not that far off because those kids have grown up with this stuff since they could walk and even begin to talk and read. So what changed then from the AMA's standpoint, or going back through the history, when did these become... UAS drones, I mean, we have the FAA's Modernization Act of 2012. I mean, is that, was that kind of the line in the sand when something changed from taking these from model aircraft to a different, the drone, so to speak? I, I think I think that's when they actually started tagging them as such. I, I think the 
I mean, I've been flying the radio control stuff since I was a kid. My dad got into it in the early 60s, so it's been a huge part of my life and it actually turned into a career. But we've the technology has been there for many, many, many years. Um, even the autonomous with full autopilots and things have been there for many years and even available on a commercial side, but they were just, just not cost-effective for most people to have and to be able to use. And once those started to become more and more capable where you had to have less and less skill, and then you saw them being flown more and more in public parks and public areas as opposed to traditional radio control flying fields, I think that's when they started, they needed to call them something, and apparently uh, model airplanes was too long, so they had to go back to the drone nickname. Well, say model airplane as opposed to unmanned aircraft systems, huh? Right. Do we, do, but the we do, do we do an ABC a UAV, count? <laughs> even the ones that I've flown for the Navy and such are still, at the end of the day, you could describe them very easily to a very large-scale model airplane. The technology is still radio link that goes up and control servos of some sort that moves the control surfaces to give you control. Now, if they have a onboard computer and things, then their complexity may be there or maybe a lot more, but they're still functioning in exactly the same way that a recreational hobby aircraft does as far as you're on the ground, you've got a communication link up, uh, you tell the aircraft to do something, it does it, and then Okay. Well, it's and the, it's, the devil is in the details and the definition. So we're going to take our first commercial break and pick back up with that. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with All Your Liz. Just before the break, we're talking with Archie Stafford. And Archie, we're talking about kind of the devil being in the details. I mean, the new rules clarify, and I'm using that with the proverbial air quotes, that an unmanned aircraft is an 
aircraft operated without the possibility of direct human intervention from within or on the aircraft. And again, how is a paper airplane, I mean, not an unmanned aircraft? And looking, too, at with the FAA's rules, and they, they exclude model aircraft. But what does that mean? And from, from your standpoint, with the AMA, I mean, y'all worked hard to get that distinction, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that's important to note is that even under the FAA registration stuff for model aircraft, uh, free flight and control line aircraft are not required to be uh, registered. So if you actually have a free flight aircraft, the old stick and tissue or whatever that has oh, so no what is it, what is a at free all. flight aircraft? So that is a glider? Uh, no, it can actually have a, some of them are rubber band powered. Um, <laughs> some of them are even uh, small electric motor powered and such uh, now. So those, and you you raised a good point in where some of this debate is coming from is back in December, FAA announced that any unmanned, small unmanned aircraft systems ever was at 0.55 pounds would need to register. Or in this case, the owners would actually be the ones registering with the FAA. But that's swept up into the rule model aircraft, correct? I mean, there was no distinction for hobbyist operations. Correct, but they did actually specify in that uh, they defined the model aircraft as essentially radio control model aircraft. Our other types, which are the control line where you have the string attached to the aircraft or the free flight aircraft, are exempt from those registrations. So They're not actually considered model aircraft as far as the uh, FAA is concerned. So if I'm operating my paper airplane as a hobbyist, I don't have to register and I'm still exempt. But other than that, I need to be looking at, at the very least, registration once it hits that weight limit. Um, the weight limit does not apply on the free flight or control line at all as far as uh, registration. If you The definition in the registration that mentions the radio control link, uh, they actually specify specifically that either you control, which is control line, or... Mm-hmm what the AMA has defined as free flight aircraft, there is no weight limit, and you could conceivably have up to 55-pound free flight aircraft that still meets all the required rules. Well, there you go. As I said, the, the devil is in the details. Now, how hard has the AMA been working to really draw attention to, okay, you're, a, you're all over the board? I mean, is it free flight? Is it on a line? Is it the paper airplane through to the radio controlled. I mean, that's a tall task. How are y'all working to get the message out? Uh, We have an entire government relations team, and uh, Chad Budrow and Rich Hansen have headed that up. Um, Rich was actually involved in all of the meetings with the FAA and such. Uh, We've been very fortunate to have a seat at the table with a lot of the other organizations, AUVSI and such, to uh, at least have input into all these different regulations that are coming out. And some of the ones we've gotten had more input than others, but it's, it's interesting to note that a lot of the rules follow very closely to the AMA safety code, which was developed 
well over 50 years ago initially it's obviously been updated but the 55 pound rules the line of sight all those were things that were part of the ama safety code for as long as i can remember and those are the things that they uh that the FAA just adopted and established the 155 pound for uh, all the small UAS. And as when you think of the model aircraft, uh, recreational flyers, the fields uh, around town where you know, a bunch of folks sitting there with the controllers in their hand, their aircraft in the air, those, for the most part, if not entirely, those are all AMA members uh, from what I've heard in under that, they have, they're following the AMA safety guidelines and insured, correct? That's one of the benefits that y'all offer your members. Absolutely. They have uh, $2.5 million liability coverage, but it's an umbrella policy, so it's over top of your homeowners and such. But it, it actually is an insurance there. Uh, you get the full-color magazine, but the big thing is the insurance, and that allows uh, clubs to be able to pop up at different locations that uh, – maybe otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to because obviously insurance is a big thing in this day and age. Well, but the other thing to remember is that even if you're AMA, you're covered wherever you fly, whatever you fly. So as long as you're flying in a location that you're legal to be at, uh, it can be a city park or anything else or even your backyard. And your AMA insurance and AMA coverage still applies as long as you're following the uh, safety guidelines. Well, and other than the glossy magazine, the insurance coverage, I mean, y'all aren't distinguishing, though, between, well, now you're a drone as opposed to a model aircraft, or is that a part of the guidelines? Uh, it's not actually established as a true guideline, but multi-rotors are obviously a big part of it. Um, at the end of the day, multi-rotor is a radio control helicopter. Um, last year, I had the opportunity to go up to Oshkosh, the AAA event, and got to meet a lot of our members, some of which were the that were more of the anti-drone, and so I was able to explain to them that <laughs> from a technology standpoint, your small four-engine B, B-17 that has a flight controller in it versus your DJI Phantom, the technology is exactly the same. One flies vertically, one flies on the wings, but as far as has four motors, has a flight controller, and has a radio control link. There's not any way to differentiate differentiate the two. And so how have you made or have you found that in doing your community outreach and working with different groups that that is a common argument? I mean, if you go to a ski resort, you have skiers versus snowboarders is constant struggle in the AMA, are y'all finding that there is the model aircraft, the fixed wing versus the multi-rotor drones? I mean, is that a ski or snowboard debate? Um, in a lot of cases, yes. Um, it's been very similar. We had to deal with this 30 years ago when radio control helicopters became popular because your typical radio control field got guys that will fly in a certain pattern around the field where a helicopter can take off and land vertically so they can hover right in front of the other pilots. So a lot of clubs actually had to adopt either a separate uh, area at their flying site, and you also saw clubs pop up that were strictly helicopters because it's just a different type of flying. And I think a lot of clubs are now beginning to accommodate um, a lot of the multi-rotor stuff as well. And what we're seeing is, is when a lot of these multi-rotor guys show up at a club the first time, if the club is very welcoming, um, then they come back, and pretty soon they end up crossing over. You'll see guys that may have bought and started with a DJI Phantom, but next goes out and buys a... Uh, whatever fixed-wing airplane and wants to learn to fly, and vice versa. Some of your fixed-wing guys may think it's kind of cool to be able to take a bunch of pictures, so they'll go buy DJI Phantom. So there seems to be a lot of crossover that's uh, coming out of it once guys get close. 
And you, and you mentioned that the multi-rotor versus, you know, the helicopter versus more traditional fixed-wing debates been going on for 30 years on the model aircraft. I mean, the FAA wasn't stepping in at that point to try to impose separate rules or basically define as an aircraft under their jurisdiction. Were they or? Um, we were obviously talking to the FAA back then, just like we talked to the FCC for the radio communications. Like we, the FAA fought hard to get a lot of the frequencies that a lot of these things are using now. A lot of people don't realize that was a, a fight many years ago. So the AMAs had to deal with different government regulatory agencies for many, many years. Uh, the difference became once these got to the point of instead of having to realistically go to a model airplane field and learn to fly, where people knew where you were or what you were doing, now they're available. I, mean, I saw one even in Walmart um, the other day where you can just go buy one. You could walk out into any location and go fly. And that's, I think that's what stepped, forced them to step in was when these things were popping up in places that they'd never had to deal with them before. So popularity has been both a blessing and a uh, hampering the industry or the recreational sport then, it sounds like. Yes, and I think that's been pretty much true of most of the industries out there over time. Well, and how do you distinguish, though, pop, you know, based on metrics of popularity? I mean, are the risks different now than they were 30 years ago between the model aircraft and the multi-rotors? Or? Yeah, I think a lot of things have changed. The uh, communication links as far as the radio systems and such have become so much better. Um, 30, 35 years ago, when we were flying on 72 megahertz and we had various frequencies, you could have guys turn on in two different frequencies and cause both aircraft to crash or before the flying to have it. Now, so, with the advent of 2.4, with the frequency hopping things that deconflict themselves, those so problems have, have gone away. But now you've got uh, aircraft made that are very cheaply made where you don't have the people who are flying them actually putting these together. So you have things that you may take out of the box that you really don't have any idea what the quality control was when it was built. So while a lot of the things have gotten better, there's a whole lot more of them out there. So even if your percentage of risk stayed the same, there's just so many more out there that you're probably going to have more crashes and more incidents just because of the sheer numbers now. Well, it sounds like the some of the technology shifts have, in this case, helped uh, with the uh, hacking, so to speak, that whereas before someone could jam or uh, interfere with the signals, it's harder to do that now, but you also don't have the technical understanding as much of the aircraft when they're mass-produced as they are today. Exactly. And years ago, I, mean, I remember my dad um, and I, when I was growing up, he'd spend three or four months during the winter building an airplane, a nice shiny new airplane to take out in the spring. And not only the money you put into it, the amount of time you put into it. So you were probably more cautious with that versus something that I ordered off Amazon for 50 bucks and showed up and I'm not that worried about whether or not it gets broken. No, saying I don't know that any of the $50 aircraft on Amazon should be flown outdoors. Most of those don't have the heft that you need to There's fly. There's a couple of their, their smaller ones that are the... SEMA one specifically is one I think of. It's not that much smaller than a Phantom and a pretty impressive little aircraft for less than 50 bucks, actually. Well, and 
thank you so much, uh, Archie, for joining us. And is there a website for the AMA that folks could find out more information? Absolutely. It's uh, www.modelaircraft.org. And then our uh, high school competition, our middle school and high school competition, is www.uas4stem.org. So it's www.modelaircraft.org to find out information on the AMA and membership. And again, Archie, thank you for joining us and sharing insights on really from someone who's been there and done that for, we're not going to quite do the math, but a few years since your father first introduced you. So thank you so much. And with that, you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz up. Next, we'll have really looking at it from the legal side. But until then, we're going to jump to a commercial break. Thank you so much. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. So welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And so before the break, we had been chatting with Archie Stafford from the AMA, looking at just the evolution of what the aircraft that even Marilyn Monroe helped work on to what we have today. And 
highlighting that really was the popularity and ease of access that may have triggered the regulatory look. But now that we're talking the regulatory aspect, my next guest joining us is Michael Shearer, who just finished uh, law school. Congratulations on that. Is currently clerking with DLA Piper, but in addition to being a recreational drone pilot, Michael, you have quite the distinguished career in both information security and the business aspects before going to law school, which some may question your uh, state of mind and mental stability for going to law school at that point in your career. But welcome and thanks for joining us on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I really do appreciate it. No, well, so what, I mean, if you read the FAA's press release when they released the Part 107 rules last week, I lost count of how many different ways unmanned systems, drones were referenced. Was it three or four? But the devil's in the details and the definitions. Shouldn't that be the easy part? Well, I mean, you could think so. And I, one of the problems, this is, this is really the big problem with the FAA and, and the regulation of drones, um, is that they can't seem to figure out what means what. And this goes back, if you recall, the, uh, the Perker decision, which was where um, Raphael Perker was flying his drone over the University of Virginia, and the FAA fined him for, for violating um, the rules, the, the rules regarding flying. And the, um, the NTSB talked about the definition of aircraft. And in that case, it defined a drone or a model aircraft as an aircraft, subject to all the other rules. So this is really the starting point for this huge, broad-ranging definition of, of model aircraft encompassed within aircraft. Yeah, and it, even that decision didn't really clarify. I mean, it just kind of muddied the water to some degree because it was the NTSB changed their mind. I mean, they had to go from the partial panel to the full panel to rehear it. What would have happened if they'd gone the other way? I mean, that would have just knocked this, the FAA's attempts out of the sky, so to speak, right? You would think so. I mean, and, you know, you know, we see this, you're a lawyer, we see this with regulatory agencies. They, they have this um, certain amount of power that they're, you know, delegated by Congress, and they, they want to protect it jealously, uh, at, at, sometimes at all costs. So they tend to have these very broad or far-ranging definitions of their power, and they want to... Um, they want to, you know, do whatever they can with that power. I mean, you see this with Peter Socks, the, the drunk lawyer guy who, <laughs> who registered a paper airplane. That's, we, that's what we were talking section. about with Archie. That I mean, and they granted the exemption. Right, right, because they're not they're not really looking at them. They're they're, they're rubber stamping them. But, wait, but wait, wait. Taking, a government agency is not. Three, Reading in detail uh, every minute line of the thousands and thousands of exemption requests. Right, they're not shocking. Doing that. Obviously, they're 
they're just rubber stamping them, but they're taking three, four, five months to do that, which is, and if you're a commercial, if you're trying to use a drone for a commercial use, you know, if you're a wedding photographer or a real estate agent, you know, and you are trying to comply with a law, um, that's a huge hit to your business to not be able to do that kind of business while you wait for them to rubber stamp something. Well, and it really goes back to what, and one of the things we had been chatting with, aren't you guys, what was, what was that tipping point? I mean, if you're reading the new Part 107 rules, it's an unmanned aircraft is, again, it's an, un, it's an aircraft operated without the possibility of direct human intervention from within or on the aircraft. That's a whole lot of different aircraft. I yeah. mean, uh, I think one of the problems, uh, and this is not just the FAA, but this is, the FAA is having this problem, is that the regulatory agencies in general are really having trouble keeping up with the advance of technology. Um, the FAA has the same problem with there's a service, I'm sure you're aware, called Flight Now, which allows pilots, aircraft pilots, to share um, share flights. And the FAA, for a long time, has said this is completely fine. You know, you can go into uh, a flight club at the airport and post it on a physical bulletin board, and it's fine. But if you put it on the internet, well, now it's a commercial advertisement, and 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 that you become a commercial carrier. And this is sort of like, what is going on here? So I think in general. Like I said, the FAA and regulatory agencies in general are really having trouble keeping up with technology, so they're they're really struggling to 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 do what they need to do or what they think they need to do to to, to keep a uh, keep the reins on the industry. And you you raise an issue that or a point that the two of us have discussed. I'd say debated, but that insinuates there was a point to argue. Uh, for or against, but really we've had the conversations that technology is moving so quickly. And when you look at, for example, last year you had the uh, claims of a researcher being able to interrupt an airplane's flight navigation systems mid-flight. And there really was no way for the FAA to, I mean, there's a proliferation now of bug bounties, uh, responsible disclosures, where if a a researcher finds an issue, there's a mechanism starting to fall into place where they can report that issue, allow people or the manufacturer, allow it to be corrected or at least studied, verified, before they go public with that, but... That doesn't. The FAA is not set up for that, I and mean, they're still struggling with the next gen incorporation of that technology. And how do you think that's kind of? I mean, it's that being perhaps the tipping point of the technology side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the problems with with the, with regulatory agencies and the FAA is that they're trying to by trying to keep up with everything. By, try, by trying to keep up with the advance of technology, they feel like they have to have something to cover everything. In other words, if someone is flying a drone and they crash, they crash the drone and they injure someone, well, we have to have some kind of regulation to cover that. And 
if you, I mean, we're lawyer, you know, we're we're in the legal profession. We know about there's there's remedies <laughs> out there for that, right? You know, negligence or exactly. You know, battery or, there there are but, existing rule or rules or processes in place to somebody will get their money. Somehow. Right. We don't need a we don't need a new rule that says if you crash a drone into somebody you you're breaking a rule. I mean, there's 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 a legal process already out there to cover it. If you fly over someone's yard and and look into their into their you know into their house, you know that's an invasion of privacy. You can deal with that through the tort system. You don't need a specific new rule to deal with that. Um, well, so it's I, it's the mechanism of delivery should not be the focus necessarily. The laws and regulations should be agnostic almost as to how it occurred but just the fact that it occurred right and so because five years from now there's going to be something new that we don't even know about now or some change in the way um things are operated you know we, we can't even imagine what the technology is going to be like so it's it's sort of a fool's errand to think that the FAA is going to be able to keep up with this because as soon as they far, sort of finalize all these rules and drone rules and model aircraft rules, they're going to be outdated. And then it's going to be, it's, it just creates uncertainty in the industry, among consumers, among businesses, among people who are using commercial, uh, using drones for commercial uses. Nobody really knows what they can do. Well, and then because we have mm-hmm. a, because we have a federal system, you have this huge patchwork of you know rules and regulations depending upon where you're operating. Well, and two, it if you don't know if I'm using a paper airplane that received a 333 exemption, so under that I've told the FAA this is the aircraft I'm using. I'm going to use it for commercial purposes. But elementary school children who are crafting paper airplanes to throw it at the teacher. They don't need to register. I mean, what? But the technology's the same. It's still the same paper airplane, perhaps a little fancier design uh, from the elementary stu- school students who have a little more time on their hands, ignoring their lessons. But legally, there isn't a difference when you start reading the rules between when did my radio control helicopter become a drone requiring registration and is it that commercial is it the purpose is it intent but nothing changed just my intent right, right. i mean uh, you know your standard sort of you know common drone now is really not much different than you know a model airplane of 20 or 30 years ago right it's it's basically the same thing you have someone with a remote control who's flying it around um and the FAA had advisory rules on model airplanes that worked fine. No, nobody seems to have thought that those rules were a problem. Um, but now you have drone pilots coming in and flying in areas, to be fair, where, where model aircraft or traditional model aircraft haven't flown before. But you're right, there's no real distinction between those two things. And there is, and you hit the nail on the head, there is a public safety uh, concern that I do not think, I mean, and it's a sliding scale. The drones that I picked up for next to nothing that fit in the palm of my hand aren't really, I mean, those, I'm just flying around the ha- inside the house for fun, but they're not going to cause the same amount of damage per se, uh, a larger aircraft. And we're going to jump to a commercial break, but 
I want to pick that up and get your thoughts too on what what aspect of that change uh, should be picked up legally or not. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio, and Joining me is Michael Shearer. And, Michael, right before we took the commercial break, we're talking about, well, okay, there are legitimate concerns for some of the new rules and whether they're applying to model aircraft and, uh, quote-unquote, drone aircraft. But what is the difference between if I'm operating my model aircraft or, or my drone uh, now, as a hobbyist, that under the new rules that are going to be coming out, I'm still not required to get that FAA certification. And other than my intent, if I'm still flying the same, if I'm flying same aircraft in a similar location, you know, so I have my uh, DJI or my uh, Parrot drone that I. The only thing that changed was my intent. How should how should that be addressed? I mean, because right now, once my intent changes, and it could be an after the fact, I capture some great photographs that now I want to sell, so now it's a business. I mean, right. that, that seems a little bit on the side of, we'll call it the paper airplane exemption. Ridiculous, right. even on the surface. Well, I think I think some of this goes back to some of this does go back to the, the you know the traditional model airplane, right? Most mm-hmm. 
most of the people who are flying traditional model airplanes are flying in sort of designated areas. And I think the idea, or at least initially, was to give a little bit of um, regulatory freeway to those sorts of traditional model aircraft. Um, you know, looking back at, you know, Section 336 um, from the, the 2012 law, I mean, it's straight up says, you know, the FAA cannot create rules for model, for model aircraft, yet they have done this anyway. So <laughs> Exactly, in the registration uh, requiring the model aircraft to... Uh, right, right, the registration mm-hmm. requirement, which was rushed out before Christmas without noticing comment, and, and you know, it's... Well, they had to beat it, Santa. Right, I think, I mean, I think you can make a, a very strong argument that those, that those rules are not valid, um, and, and I think I, there's a lawsuit, I, I believe, already. So I think we'll see, hopefully we'll see whether those, you know, come to, to forth. But I think one of the one of the sort of small, potentially small victories that we have is is the micro-drone amendment, uh, which was proposed in back in February. And this would essentially, it's not an exemption, um, but it would allow drones that are smaller than, I think, four, four, four and a half pounds, basically... Uh, follow the old model aircraft rules, and they wouldn't um, they wouldn't be subject to all these, you know, Section 333 or even 107 requirements. Um, and I think this would cover a lot of the smaller consumer drones that most people are using. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that goes and whether or not that kind of thing, you know, gets some traction. Well, and you, in bringing up the micro uh, exemption, discussions, it's the FAA's authority comes from whatever Congress has told them to do. They are basically taking marching orders and putting rules to those broad orders. So when you reference the micro, maybe explain a little bit, is that the FAA, or clarify whether that's the FAA or an amendment proposed from, at the legislative level? Right. So the, this amendment was proposed by um, Congressman uh, Davis from Illinois, and it, so it's it's an amendment to the FAA Authorization Act, and it would um, create a new classification of, of drones, essentially micro drones, um, and anything that is under a certain weight, um, I think it's four and a half pounds or so, would essentially be subject to a, a lot less requirements to fly, and this goes if you. Remember the sort of old model aircraft rules, below 400 feet, uh, visual line of sight during the day, um, and within five, you know, notice or notice to the airport if you're flying within five miles of every airport, these sort of things. But no restrictions on commercial use. So if you're using a small uh, a drone, it would allow you to do that. And it wouldn't, you wouldn't have to go through all these, you know, uh, Section 333 or 107 or whatever, you wouldn't have to take a test. You would have to you jump through the, quite as many hoops. Right, exactly. And, you know, you're, you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are doing this sort of stuff. And to, to get everybody to jump through all these hoops, especially when a lot of people are just flying in their backyard or, you know, they got something for Christmas. Um, and, like, and just giving the example you said, you know, you fly for some... Um, you fly for some hobby purpose, and then, oh, those pictures you got are really nice, and it turns into some commercial use. Um, 
or you know even the example and this this is sort of an egregious one but you know you put you put your drone videos on YouTube and you have your videos monetized and now that's a commercial use well exactly um, and that was uh, we had talked about that on one of the earlier shows that you posting a video somehow to YouTube and it, recipient received what I finally called the FAA nasty grams, a letter saying it's reported you're doing this for commercial purposes. In this case, merely because the ad revenue that, you know, one percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a penny, suddenly you have a commercial. And the FAA did back away from that, but that's not to say they couldn't do it again. You're right. And, And you also have to consider that a lot of these complaints that are filed with the FAA are just other people who are operating drones for businesses and they're rent seeking. They're just trying to get the they're trying to get their competitors in trouble with the FAA so that so it benefits their business. Well and it creates a nightmare scenario mm-hmm. of a, an ever growing Enforcement. You have to have so many boots on the ground in order to enforce, or if you don't enforce, that's sort of how we ended up with the landmark uh, fine announced, when was it, earlier this year of, what was it, $1.8 million to the operators out of New York for flights they were conducting commercially before they received their 333 exemption. Once they received the 333 exemption, the FAA didn't penalize them for those, but once you compound all those different flights that were reported and then the fines and penalties, you get these just mind-blowing actions, but that's not... Is that furthering the public good? Is that really achieving their goals, or...? Right. Well, I mean, I think whenever you have... I'm sure you see this in in other areas with federal agencies. Whenever they have a new regulation come out, someone is going to get made an example of. And it's usually an an egregious case, someone who's done something outrageous. Um, But they want to to, uh, throw the book down, and they want to make sure that whoever's out out there that's covered by the regulation wants to know that they mean business. And so they're going to make an example out of somebody. Well, I, once again, you knocked it out of the ballpark. They, I agree they are going to really just it, kind of the showboating, just as you have the showboating in information security research. I think you, you have it on the government side to, in some ways, quiet the noise or the criticism that you're not doing anything. Well, oh, yeah, look at this. And... Those are still being challenged, and you're going to see some changes with that. But, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. And if someone wants to find you online, follow you on Twitter, is there a good place they can hear more of your analysis, thoughts, or ponderings? Sure. Uh, The best place to find me is on Twitter. My handle is theprez98. That's T-H-E-P-R-E-Z-9-8. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and best of luck with the rest of your summer, and uh, look forward to hopefully bringing you back on to provide legalese, break it down for us again. But thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciated the call. So in looking at 
really where to go from here from both the commercial operations that's going to be clarified somewhat when these new rules what we kept referencing as the part 107 rules go into effect at the end of august but truly stuck in that middle part are students or researchers or hobbyists who what may be an aircraft model airplane that they're flying for fun and then perhaps want to use it for a research project or take it to school and do something with that 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 when does it become one or the other when can you fly uh, under the age of 16, above the age of 16, when when do those? And what happens if, while the AMA is a great organization for the community, what happens if you don't want to join the AMA and so you're not going to be under the community-based organization under their insurance policies? How do you, How do regulators as well as public safety officials answer those questions. So certainly a lot to think about uh, when your paper airplane, your radio-controlled helicopter, and your drone are all becoming defined as an aircraft that it it gets a little, the the water gets muddied and it leaves a lot to talk about. So thank you to Archie Stafford and Michael Shearer for joining us. Catch up with Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on AmericasWebRadio.com. You can listen live Wednesdays from 2 to 3 in the afternoon, but you can also download podcasts of each of the shows. Find me on Twitter at Lawyer Liz. Find my professional bio on hallboothsmith.com Elizabeth Wharton and thank you for joining us thank you to America's Web Radio for hosting look forward to our next conversation on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz this is America's Web Radio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you